0: My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags?
1: I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly
0: ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie's the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try Voice Prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering dateable listeners 10% off your first order with code dateable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATEABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine.
1: The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that The Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, U.S.U., former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Datable Podcast. We are still in the off season. So I know you're all waiting patiently for season 14 to drop, but we are doing something fun for these next two episodes. Uh, You're going to hear a lot about us. And today (laughs) we're flipping the script a little bit, I guess kind of flipping the script where Julie's going to interview me. I don't know about what she told me she has a thousand questions <laughs> already so I'm a little nervous but it's cool because I had a shot of um apple juice <laughs> okay sure Dry- sure it was apple <laughs>
0: juice <laughs> Well, maybe after this interview, you'll have a shot at something else. <laughs> I'm excited. I think this is going to be fun. I also polled our audience in our Facebook group, on Instagram. So I got some good questions from them also. Yeah, it's a good thing I can see those questions. Yep. So you're prepared for about 1% of the interview. <laughs> so
1: prepared for 1%. And I'll just black out for the rest of it. I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Although Julie and I know each other so well, I think they're still... <laughs> There are things that we've talked about that haven't been public, so mm. I'm, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for those nuggets <laughs> to come out.
0: Well... <laughs> You know, this is the first time we've actually done this, you know, like the actual. How, How is it? possible? I don't know. Yeah. I will shout out the podcast Bad on Paper. I listened mm. to it on a flight. That's where I saw them do this idea. I immediately texted UA from the air. It didn't go through till the next day. <laughs> <laughs> it said we need to do this too. <laughs> okay, so shall we just get into it? I feel yes. like, you know, we might as Take well. I got a lot. Of, I got a lot on my list. <laughs> Take it away. Okay, so 2021 was a big year for you. Really was. Uh, you bought a house, moved to a new city, and entered a new chapter with your partner. Three years later, cohabitating between two cities. So, of everything that went down in 2021, what do you think was the biggest adjustment you faced?
1: Ooh, a biggest adjustment. The biggest adjustment, quite honestly, Julie, is uh turning 40. Mm. Turning 40. Turning 30 was a big year. I kind of remember that because I felt a lot of mental changes
0: that happened,
1: (laughs) but I think 40, I felt a lot of the physical changes. Mm. And I don't know if this is like placebo effect or you just like read about it in magazines, but I felt... Absolutely. Like as soon as I hit 40, there were things that I was a little slower at doing, Mm. uh, slower to recover, and things hurt that I never thought even existed. So I think that was the biggest adjustment was just adjusting to my age, my my physical age.
0: Yeah, this is 40. It's so interesting, because I can relate to that. I don't feel my age. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's interesting that you finally felt it like it kind of caught up to you. Yeah. What do you think was the biggest thing? I know you mentioned a few areas that things hurt a little more recovered less. Like was there one area that you said I could have done this in my 20s a lot better?
1: Oh, yeah. A uh, prime example is a day in New York City. So when Mm. I went back to New York this year, the difference of between my mid-20s to 40 was like night and day. A typical day of UA, 25 years old in New York, would start at 7 a.m. And I'd be back to back to back to back to back all the way till 7 a.m. Okay. (laughs) Like I would go. The entire 7 a.m. to 7 a.m. Because I can just stay out and I have so much energy and I'm not tired or hungry or thirsty. This time when I went back, I had to take multiple naps, multiple (laughs) breaks, and also just say, Yue, you're not 25 anymore. It's time to go back to your hotel and just rest before you go on to the next rest of your day. So uh, one of my biggest intentions for 2022 is to slow down Mm -hmm. and to listen to my body more.
0: I think that's so funny because when I think of someone that has a ton of energy, you are who I think of.
1: I know, (laughs) me too. But see, Julie, this is kind of what I mean by this transformation and adjusting to it is that you were a certain identity. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, you got to say, okay, I'm not that anymore. Maybe I'm not the the hyper energetic person anymore. And I have to be okay with it. I can't live up to that all the time.
0: So let's talk about identity and also Mm -hmm. 25. (laughs) When you were single, we got (laughs) a lot of questions from people that wanted to know, you know, now that you're in a committed relationship, it's been three years. So in Mm -hmm. all due terms, I feel like that's a long, that's a long committed relationship, like you guys are in it. So Is there something that you would say to your 25-year-old self that maybe didn't Mm. have it figured out back then, knowing now that you got it?
1: I love that. I love that. I want to tell my 25-year-old self that nothing is permanent. Mm. At 25, I was with my boyfriend who had been with for, I think, three years at that point. We were living together. I was thinking that this is going to be a permanent relationship. I had just quit my corporate job. And then I was freaking out because I was trying to break into entertainment and didn't know what the future held for me. And overall, I just had a quarter-life crisis at 25, which a lot of us have talked about <laughs> on this show, too. Just like, what is my life? I need to figure it out. All out right now, or I am going to be the biggest loser. And I have to say, from twenty-five to forty, my my life, and my identity, my location, my hair—you know—everything has changed a thousand times, and that is okay because I'm just exploring the different multi dimensions of me and. I will keep doing that till the day I die. So nothing Mm -hmm. is permanent. And know that at 25, whatever you think is your biggest problem, probably will just be chump change by the time you
0: turn 40. (laughs) One of the things that I find fascinating about you, I will emphasize one of the many. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like your past in the fact that you had this very serious live in boyfriend that proposed to you, Mm. you could have had the traditional lifestyle by now, you know, you could have been in the with 2.5 kids, a dog, and a white picket Mm -hmm. fence. Mm -hmm. You got the dog, but Mm -hmm. if you look at life you know, I think a lot of people were asking, one of the things they admire about you is that you have taken more of a non-traditional approach with marriage and, you know, cohabitating in two different cities. Like, how do you think your mindset has changed around following societal norms of, you know, getting married?
1: I think I've talked about this moment before. I went to a wedding in Cabo with an ex-boyfriend of mine, and he's insignificant in this story. It was more (laughs) this moment during this wedding where this couple who I don't even remember their name by now their names uh but they they were you know saying their vows and one of them said, what, I, what I'm what most excited about with you is creating new traditions with you. Mm. And they're, they come from a traditional, they both come from a traditional Indian background. And that blew my mind. Because to me, I thought I, my job was to preserve tradition. Mm. But they were saying we can create new traditions together as a couple. And then I thought, why can't I do that as a single, as an individual? The future... Is so, it's such a beautiful canvas that we can paint whatever we want on. And we only know ourselves the best. So instead of following in, an, uh, in another artist's footsteps, let's just call it that, because we're all artists of our own life, I wanna paint a different painting for myself. Mm-hmm. And that may look like nothing before, or that could look like something very traditional. It doesn't matter as long as I am the artist for my painting.
0: I love that. And being single all these years, you've gotten a lot of life experiences that are just different than if you were partnered up. Let's mm. go back to kind of single UA. A lot Oof. of our listeners were curious about <laughs> the worst date you ever had. We'll go there first.
1: <laughs> oh, the worst date I've ever had. I can't say, you know, I can't say I've had a a really bad date just because... I mean, I think, Julie, you can say the same, like, we're just so good at dating sometimes, (laughs) you know? You're just like, because you've done it so many times, you're like, ah, I can have fun with anybody. But I would say the dates that have been least memorable, let's go there cuz I think that's a bad date when mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very non-memorable date was I squeezed in a date between two other dates. Mm. So this was the filling in the sandwich. <laughs> the filling the sandwich date and I don't remember his name. All I was trying to do was fill an hour gap between two other dates and this poor guy had me for an hour where i was like okay still anxious coming coming off the energy of the previous date and anxious about going into the next one that I was so not present. I felt like he was also like, "Who are you?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't wait for this date to end. We didn't even finish our drinks, and we left that place. I, I smuggler's cove. Is that is that what
0: it's called? Oh yeah, I the, can't remember. the pirate bar at SF. Is that the one? The you're pirate talking about? bar. Yeah, I think okay. it was at.
1: Yes, it was at the Pirate Bar. Shout out to Smugglers
0: Co. for SF listeners.
1: (laughs) We didn't have very good conversation because again, I wasn't very present. I was just sandwiched between two other dates. And I remember when we were leaving, he was like, he didn't even say it was nice meeting you. He didn't even say that. It wasn't even like trying to be polite. I think we just said, Bye. (laughs)
0: I think that's such a fascinating one that you pulled out, because I feel like usually what people say, the worst date, it's always about the other person. Mm. But you actually picked an example was about your like how you were showing up. Oh, and yes. I mean, I think from doing Dateable for six years, we've learned that that is so much of it. It's easy to blame the other people, but a lot of it is on yourself. I guess from dating, was there anything you learned about yourself and what you're looking for in a partner It could have been a great date. It could have been a bad date. Like what kind of got you to maybe where you are today.
1: You're always the protagonist in your story. You are the protagonist. When you put someone else as the protagonist, you have relinquished that control. So this goes back to what you just said, Julie. Is, is It's interesting. I brought up a story that where I was the one, it was my bad behavior. Because think about how many times you've been the bad protagonist in someone mm-hmm. else's story. Just because you're complaining about dating and external factors, there's someone There's someone out there complaining about you. <laughs> You're yeah, the protagonist in their story. <laughs> so if we can stop thinking about, or I guess this is more for me, my learning was that if I can stop putting other people as protagonists, I will take more accountability for my actions and say, you know what, that date didn't go well because I wasn't in the right mental space or I didn't bring the energy that I wanted to.
0: I definitely noticed that shift with you. I remember when we first met, you would yeah. wait by the phone waiting for someone that said that there were gonna be plans and then being really anxious and upset when they weren't following through and then you had a shift that you're just like fuck it i'm I'm gonna do what i want to do and you know that's when things really click into place um so i definitely saw that with you for sure one of the questions we got from a listener actually that i think is a really great question is she wanted to know more about dating as an asian american woman Mm can you kind of share any experience? <laughs> I know it's like a really wide topic and we could probably do a whole podcast, but- Which we you know, will. <laughs> I love, though. I guess, like, was there any moments that this played into your dating life? I think also for backstory for people, I feel like you used to date when I first met you a lot more white men and now mm-hmm. you're, your serious relationships were always with Asian men though, which was always interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. As a very, very keen observation, I can't wait to do this episode on dating as an Asian American woman because we've, we've done it. I don't think we've done it as an Asian American man either. Okay, so we got two episodes coming up. Uh, <laughs> but I think I can only speak to my experience. And I can say that you know, I was born in Beijing, and I came to the States and all the message I was getting was assimilate, assimilate. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be a cheerleader, I wanted to date the football player, because that's how I thought assimilation meant. That's what all the American TV shows and movies portrayed. So when I went to college, that was kind of what I thought was cool. The cool thing to do is you assimilate into white American culture. And that's why I predominantly dated white men after college, because mm-hmm. I thought that was that's mm. when you, you know, my parents worked so hard to get us to the States. So I should assimilate into white culture. What I Kind of cringe on of now looking back. I was reading my journal from New York, you know, when I was like dating there in my mid 20s. I was proud to be someone's first Asian. I was proud. It was like a a medal I was given, (sighs) you know, if a guy is like, you're the first Asian I've dated, you're not as Asians I thought. I didn't think Asian women were like you. And it made me so happy to feel like I was special. But I was being fetishized. That's all yeah. it was. But to me, it was like, oh, I'm being accepted by this man who never even fathom of dating outside of his own race. You know. But I think what really flipped the switch for me was definitely in recent years. A few boyfriends ago, who comes from a very white American family, met my parents, and he sa- his the words that he came out of his mouth were, "Your parents." seem very non-intimidating. Mm. Not they're, they seem nice. Not that they seem friendly. They're so non-intimidating. And I was like, that is how Asians are portrayed all the fucking time. We're just safe and yeah. non-intimidating, but nothing exciting, nothing unique. We're just non-intimidating. You might as well just exist. So because he said that, I was like, dude, I don't want to be with someone who just thinks my people are non-intimidating, right?
0: Right. And is that That's what you, he fun. feels about you? You know Exactly.
1: <laughs> right. I think that was his indirect way of saying that. And I, I didn't want to be with someone like that. So I didn't make a race decision to date Asian men. I just made a decision to date men who saw me as an equal mm-hmm. and, saw, and respected me and my family. And that happened to be with mostly Asian men since then. Very interesting.
0: So- I want to go into your current partner, because I feel like you have an interesting story that a lot of people might not know that you knew each other for a very long time Mm -hmm. before you actually got together. And I think this is a prime example of just how your network in person and friends of friends can really, you know, be a source to meeting people. And maybe it doesn't always happen instantly. It could be the long game. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of take us through when you first met and then how things progressed into an actual relationship?
1: What is so beautiful about human nature is that we are different in, all the time. We are evolving all the time. So, when I met my partner, I guess almost 10 years ago, he was a totally different person. We met in Shanghai. He was living there. I was visiting a friend and we had mutual friends and we met at a club. So, contextually, that <laughs> was not a relationship uh, starter for anybody. And I remember just thinking, oh, this some playboy he you know (laughs) some like abc which is like american-born chinese which he really isn't but it's like a term you use for Mm. asian for asians who are americanized and then they go back to asia then they are considered abcs there they're not locals and so those kind of guys get a lot of attention in china in general they can date locals they can date Mm. abc women they can date non-asians so i was i already kind of kind of was like, no, this is not going to (laughs) happen. But we moved to San Francisco around the same time, I think the same year, he was married at that time. Mm -hmm. And so another check, like not available, definitely not even going to consider him. But we ran in the same social circles. So when he was going through his divorce, and I was going through a breakup with my last partner, a lot of people were pushing us together, including our friends, Julie. I remember (laughs) you were saying that and I've heard it from other people. And it was a very uh, memorable evening that one night when you called me and you were like, oh, Deb's hot divorce friend is coming to this (laughs) bar. I remember you calling me and saying that. And I was like, which one? Deb has a hot divorce friend? (laughs) And I finally pieced the two into together. I'm like, oh, that guy. Okay.
0: You know what's hilarious? I didn't even realize I did that. Cause like I for some reason in my head, I remember calling you and being like, come meet us out. Yeah. But for whatever reason in my head, I was I thought you already knew him. I didn't think like I was like positioning him as a new person. But that's you funny knew, that I was.
1: You knew <laughs> I knew him, but what was funny was I was already in my pajamas. You were trying to use an extra carrot to to dangle in front of me to tempt me to come out. I just wanted you to come out. You did. You did. And I had a (laughs) lovely time. I'm so glad I did. But I remember going there and... Uh, I was like, who is this guy? Oh, and then I piece the two and two together. You knew I already knew him, but not, you know, we weren't like hanging out one-on-one. And I remember getting there and then you and our group of friends were saying like, you two should date. And I was like, no, he's going through a divorce. I think it's just too fresh. And of course, like a month later, we start dating and it just, uh, but that night I saw him in a different context. And I think you actually, you know what? He owes you. He
0: owes you, big, (laughs) Julie. You know, all this time I thought I had nothing to do with it. I'm so glad I did this interview because now it's me.
1: (laughs) There are so many of our mutual friends who want to take credit for our relationship. I think it was you, Julie, though. You are the one that set the tone for us because I didn't see him in that context until you placed him in that context. And I remember going to the bar and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could be
0: into this. (laughs) You know what it probably was? Because I had met him before that night multiple times. Like without you me. No, with you. Oh, through me. Yeah. While he was married and in other contexts. I remember really? that that um SF MOMA party? Yes, yes. I and then that. there was another time that we watched some sports game. I don't remember what. Oh and yeah, but Yeah, yes, there okay. were multiple times. But I think like <laughs> I maybe didn't make the connection that it was the same person. Like I probably texted you being like, This hot divorce guy is coming. Then I probably showed oh. up and was like, Oh wait, she already knows that guy <laughs>
1: Oh, that would make a lot more sense. Because I was like, why isn't she just calling him by his
0: name? <laughs> I probably did put two and two together. So yeah, thanks. I guess I did it all, clearly.
1: <laughs> well, you said the context. Context is so fucking important in dating.
0: Yeah, Oh totally. No? Well I remember this is one time I do remember is when you guys started to re you know, you started to hang out again. You invited him to watch the movie Crazy Rich Asians, which For I saw with time. you yep. three out of four times. Mm-hmm. And I remember you told me he was gonna come also to the screening. And then we ended up at a karaoke place mm-hmm. with him and his um uh, business partner friend and I remember looking at you and I was like oh she likes him like I remember like thinking like I haven't seen you like look this way especially coming off your past relationships so Mm -hmm. maybe you could talk about obviously don't have to go into intense details but like what is it about kind of like your last relationship that you knew wasn't the right person and Mm. how do you feel today
1: Something that happened in my last relationship, and I know we talked about this one on our schemas episode, was he and I went to see couples counseling, and then we saw a private um, therapist. And the therapist <laughs> asked a question, each to each one of us, do you want to get married to each other? And his answer was whatever she wants. And I was like, I don't want to be with someone who just wants what I want. And yeah. you knew him, Julie, like the nicest, yeah. most oh, wonderful man Right, and I still think about him because I really admire. I think he's just the kindest Mm -hmm. person. But he didn't know what he wanted, and he only just wanted what I wanted. Which you don't want that. You don't want that responsibility for your partner. It should be a partnership. You both want to do this together. So that was a very telling point. I think we broke up like a few days after that conversation because that's (laughs) when the light bulb went off in my head. It was like we don't need therapy. I like that's not. This is not a joint. Issue. I think this is an individual issue. But being with my current partner, and I think I remember like telling you this, Julie, even early on, he is so clear on what he wants Mm -hmm. that he is the first man to have ever asked for change in behavior or Mm -hmm. to call me out or to push back even. And it's been really refreshing to be with someone who just, who is very clear about what they want in a partnership.
0: I think that's such a fascinating statement, because we hear all the time of people not wanting to rock the boat or push the boundaries. But you're actually saying that you were way more attracted to someone that did that versus the person that just went along with the flow and almost kind of just became a more version of you.
1: Yes, yes. And, you know, I think in the beginning, we're all trying to just play it cool. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be too difficult and you want to make sure that you're like compromising, but you can still do that and still know what you want and be Mm -hmm. assertive in what you want. I would think everybody who listens to this podcast is over 20 years old. I would, I mean, if you're not, then maybe you don't know what you want. You are so (laughs) enlightened. You're just
0: enlightened. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing
1: like a school paper on us. Cool. I love that. But for anybody who like, the, every day we we get older is a day it's an opportunity for us to hone in on what it is that we want. And yeah. I really admire someone who can spend their time figuring out what they want and knowing how to deliver that information. So I I do agree. Like in the beginning of a friend, uh, friendship, in the beginning of dating in a relationship, we do tend to step back just a little bit more. But there is a way to assert yourself in the way that's very sexy. I think it's very sexy.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I will second that your ex was a super nice guy. Like, I yeah. really liked him as a person. I was not surprised when you broke up, when you told me. And I think what it was is that I feel like you weren't the vibrant UA that I knew around him. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of it, um, I remember even like Logan Yuri talking about this, is like, what side of you does this person right. bring out? And it's something that we don't really think about a lot when we're dating. It's, you know, how can I impress them? Or even how how do they make me feel? But like, it's almost a layer deeper of this. Am I my best self around this person? Or am I the version of myself that I want to be? My yes. question for you. Well, it,
1: yeah. Uh, well, hold that thought for a sec, because <laughs> I think now memories are coming back. So when we broke up, I didn't tell anybody for like a month or two, I remember. And it was just because, I don't know, peop- my friends didn't see him. So it wasn't a big shock that he wasn't coming around. But when I told, we were walking, I remember you and I were walking, and you asked something about him. I was like, oh, actually, we broke up. You weren't even shocked, you no. know? And th- that's when I was like, okay, this was the right decision. Because you were like, oh, yeah? Oh, are you okay? Like, you were You said
0: relieved, too, which was yes. a huge red flag. Like, yes. a red flag that, I guess a green flag that it was the right decision, a red flag that it was not the right relationship. Correct, Yep. Okay, before we get to this next question, let's take a quick break for some messages.
1: This episode is made possible by our sponsor, BetterHelp. In our years of doing this podcast, there has been one major takeaway, and that is therapy is beneficial for pretty much everyone. And we are so happy that BetterHelp makes therapy more accessible for all by matching you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours by connecting in a safe and private online environment. And you can send a message to your counselor anytime, I know I do, and schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. As our wonderful Datable listeners, we want you all to start living a happy, your life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com dateable. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp spelled H-E-L-P dot com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. viahemp.com and use a code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. We
0: are so excited to share with you our new podcast exit interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey and yet we rate everything in our lives from Uber drivers to local cops shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to
1: conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to
0: Exit Interview.
1: He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, what? <laughs> There's feedback that will make you cringe. She
0: could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the walls. So I guess with your partner now, three years in, things turned a lot for you both during the pandemic in 2020. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, it was clearly a good relationship, but it wasn't the level of seriousness that maybe in 2020, it became I think there is a force live in together mm-hmm. with the pandemic as many couples at the start of the pandemic faced when we didn't know how long this would be going on for if we could go between homes, all of this yep. inevitable. So maybe had you move quicker than maybe you would have if, you, if it wasn't the pandemic. Can you kind of walk us through what the pandemic did for your relationship and how it's different now?
1: I think before the pandemic, even though we had a very solid relationship, we were still just dating.
0: Mm. Dating
1: meaning we saw each other on our, during our free time. We didn't see each other during life moments. Mm -hmm. And what the pandemic did was, (laughs) here, push us together, was like face life together. And that was... Kind of a shocker for both of us because before that was just fun and games. We were activity partners, companions, and now all of a sudden everything's shut down and all we have is each other. So we really had to focus on our relationship. And Julie, you know this it was pretty rocky in the beginning. We had multiple fights. He asked for space. I was like, "Fuck you, I'm leaving." <laughs> you know, <laughs> whenever anybody asks for space, I'm like, "Fight or flight." So I moved my <laughs> shit out for a weekend, a whole weekend, and then I came
0: back I remember- crying that. (laughs) Very (laughs) vividly. You're like, we're doing a Zoom call now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's just my knee-jerk reaction. But it was good because it made me step back and think, why do I react this way? Because I am so afraid of facing life- With someone that Mm -hmm. I am retreating so much, Mm. so I I decided that we weren't gonna do that. You know, that's like not the person I want to be. And something that's interesting as a couple is during the pandemic, you can almost define your culture together. You know, companies define their culture. An ethnicity can have a culture. A couple can have their culture too, and we define our culture as adventurous not scared of adversity and conflict and constant growth. That's kind of like our culture. I love that. And I think that's what's helped us get through the pandemic, just the two of us, if we can just keep in mind, hey, are we on our culture here? Like, Are we on brand? Or are (laughs) we reverting back to our old selves?
0: I love that. I think you brought up so many interesting points. I think a lot of couples, even if they've been dating a year plus, you're kind of living separate lives, but doing Mm. stuff together versus partners who are doing life together. And it is a difference. And you don't need to necessarily live together. And some people go faster than others. It's all across the spectrum, but I do think there is a distinction and it's not yes. always measured in amount of time you've been with someone.
1: So true. I mean, there's a huge difference between come over to my apartment and I'll cook dinner for you yeah. versus it's another work day. All right. Both of us are busy. Who's doing lunch?
0: Right. Are we making
1: lunch together? Like, that's a different conversation. But they're both around a meal. Mm -hmm. The the premise of it is just very different.
0: Yeah. So what do you think? This came from one of our listeners. What do you think is the most surprising thing about living together that you've encountered?
1: Uh, For for me personally, I think the most surprising thing is my my only child tendencies have come out more than i thought i <laughs> thought i had suppressed them for 40 years and here she is <laughs> hey she's back and part of the only child tendencies is i don't like to share things space people like air <laughs> you know i just like my own everything and i also just go through the day without a routine. I eat whenever I want. I do things whenever I want. So that drove my partner insane (laughs) because he's very much about like, okay, are we eating lunch at 12? What's going on? I need to know like the rundown of the day. So I think the only child tendencies have shown a different side of me that I thought had been dead for a while. But that's good though, because it means that this partner is invigorating me. And, um, Inspiring these different parts to come out and just be like, "Hey, what's up this this girl's out now." You, what do you want to say to her? You know,
0: I love that. That we have an episode coming up in season fourteen that kind of goes into mm-hmm. the different parts of us. That's so fascinating. We got a really funny question come in and Oh boy, funny. I wasn't sure if it was cl- who it was directed to fully, but it was. What are your pet peeves about each other? And my clarifying question was <laughs> about you and I, or about you and her partner so you can take this question however you want to go
1: (gasps) oh (laughs) boy that's a I don't know I don't know do we answer that about each other do we answer that that is really funny well Julie's my longest relationship ever
0: You're mine too. So <laughs> So I guess
1: I should answer it about her. It's not really a pet peeve, it's more like Julie and I just work on different wavelengths. So Julie's like go, 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 and she has she can juggle a thousand things. Like people always say you can't multitask. I think Julie is the queen of multitasking. She is the person to prove that multitasking can exist. And I'm the person who thinks she can multitask when I'm just I'm such an Aquarian in that way where my mind just goes wherever (laughs) it wants to go. So I think we're just like on different wavelengths and you can see it by our text messages.
0: I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Because Julie's very train of thought. She's also texting from her computer. So you can type a little freely on there, right? I'm
0: not actually texting from my computer. Oh my God. How do you fucking do it? Aren't your thumbs tired? (laughs) My partner also agrees with the sentiment, and my coworkers have also agreed with the sentiment that I send a lot of train of thoughts. I knew you were going to say that. And the
1: <laughs> the best part of Julie's train of thought text is that sometimes <laughs> she answers her own questions. So sometimes I just let her be. Like she'll just keep te- texting, and at the end she'll be like, "Never mind, I got it." I'm
0: like perfect. <laughs> You're like, I'm glad I could help out. <laughs> she's yeah, she's like I, a that- self
1: cleaning oven. You
0: know, <laughs> she just
1: cleans up her own mess. She's like oh, I
0: goodness. got it. Like great. A self- cleaning oven. If I had a a dating profile, that's what I'd put on there.
1: (laughs) But but so here's the, I guess, the pet peeve part is that sometimes I feel the pressure to do do and work faster. When you're with someone who can work on such a multi- a uh, multi-stream, fast-paced <laughs> wavelength, and you're just going down the stream. I
0: you're know. trying,
1: you're trying your hardest to find your way to fly yourself up there. So it does bring that pressure. That I, then I have to separate the two. Like, is the pressure worth my time to think about, or should I just think about the things I actually need to do? <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely
0: done. don't want to make you feel that way. I know it can. Feel I know that. that. Way. I know and I that. think also, like, I need to learn to that just because i operate that way that doesn't mean that that's how many people operate so i i knew that was what you were gonna say but i thought that question was just really funny because i didn't really know who it was directed to and then when i did clarify with the person that submitted it he's like it could go either way like you guys pick Well perfect. Which was there even better. Uh but going back to <laughs> you and your partner because it's more interesting. <laughs> uh- <laughs> oh no, no. Our relationship's a lot more interesting. <laughs> Well, debatable. Yes, debatable. Right. Yes. (laughs) But speaking of by, well, we'll do by city relationships is where I'm Mm. going anyway. So I guess that applies to both of us. So you and your partner kind of had a little bit of a change this year that you moved to LA and bought a place and he still Mm -hmm. had a residence in SF, obviously was living with you in LA too. So it wasn't completely by city, but it was kind of juggling two cities. Mm -hmm. How did that, you know, how was that, I guess? Maybe just high level, like how did that go and what was challenging and what worked really great about it?
1: This was one of the most transformational choices that we've had to make as a couple that have changed how we view our relationship moving forward. And I'll explain this by saying that for a long time, I thought in a partnership, you have to make very definitive decisions together. Mm It's either or. So when I was thinking about moving to LA, I was afraid that the conversation would be Mm. we either move to LA or this this relationship is over. But it's an yes and decision. Mm. So we were thinking, how can we be creative about this? Yes, I want to move to LA. I am moving to LA. I had already made up my mind. And how do we make it work? I love that. That set the tone for all of our decision making is like it doesn't have to be so black and white. You can think more creatively. So the way we've set it up is he can work remotely most of the month. So he'll be in LA with me most of the month and then he flies back to San Francisco for like one week a month. So it's almost like a business trip Mm -hmm. and I can pretty much be remote too. So I try to go with him whenever he goes back to San Francisco and I get to see Julie whenever you know the chance presents itself and when COVID is not rampant. But (laughs) it does give me an opportunity to reconnect with my San Francisco friends and be in two cities, which are two wonderful cities. So I feel very p- privileged that way. Is it going to be sustainable and stay this way forever? Probably not. But right. at least for right now, it works pretty damn well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I've admired about you and your partner is that you you do create your own rules. And I love that, that it doesn't have to be this either or all the time. You've mentioned this on the podcast, and some people commented this as a question to some of our listeners, is that you felt the pressure sometimes by your parents mm. and you know other friends to why aren't you married? Why don't you have kids yet? You know, especially when you hit that three year mark. I think Mm -hmm. whether it's justified or not, people feel like you should be in a certain place. And that's society that's dictating that not what actually matters. Mm -hmm. How have you kind of learned to one fight back on that and then also internally be comfortable where you are? One hack
1: that I can give everyone that has worked for me is remove the word should from your vocabulary. Yes. And if someone says something to you, like your parents or your friends or whatever, who say, you should be married by now, you should have kids by now, you can ask them, how would you ask that question if you remove the word should? So then it forces them to say, okay, by now, would you want kids? By now, would you want to be in a marriage? So then it becomes more collaborative versus, "Mm, I know, I know everything and you should be doing this. So removing should is number one. Number two is, again, nothing is permanent. (laughs) And just know the decisions you make today may not be the decisions you make tomorrow, but it's okay to flip-flop. I still flip-flop between the two almost every day. Like some days I really want it, some days I don't, but I'm not so much suppressing it or depriving myself of it. I just let myself feel it and know that nothing is permanent, and I can be kind of a little bit of both, like wanting it and not wanting it at the same time.
0: Yeah, I think something interesting you said on a past episode is that your parents have been living with you for a little bit, mm-hmm. and they've now seen you as a unit. And the best way to kind of overcome some of this is just to see the commitment levels, because yes. some of it was maybe coming from a place of like, is this person committed to you? And you know, our parents' generation, marriage was commitment. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that is the way it is anymore. I guess how have your views of commitment changed is my first part of the question. And then the second part is how have you and your partner become more committed over the last year?
1: the action is proof is in the pudding and action speaks louder than words. So what my parents saw was when I was away from LA for a business trip or whatever, my partner would stay in LA with them and spend time with them when he has his place in San Francisco, he could easily just go back to San Francisco. But he wanted to spend that time with him because he does feel invested in our lives. And so I feel, I feel like that they feel a lot better about that. And I also think commitment. Commitment is, how do you want to visualize this? I think with marriage, the way I see, I visualize commitment with marriage is that it's a box. Mm-hmm. And then you put the two people in the box and make sure they don't escape outside the box. But I feel like better commitment is when both people are drawing the boundaries. That could be a box. It could be a circle. It could be any fucking shape you want. (laughs) But what if two people are just constantly drawing the boundaries? And you can push the boundaries. You can expand the boundaries. You can tighten the boundaries. But it doesn't make you feel so trapped in a box. (laughs) And I hate that, you know, the other thing you and I have talked about this, Julie, is that for some reason, society loves to demonize marriage. So Mm -hmm. then it almost makes it not cool to be Married anymore? It's like not cool to be straight or married, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, you're the straight and you're married. The tables are turning, right? You're like so not woke because it it's like you know people think of it as like a trap. And there's like there's Chinese say my mom was telling me is marriage is like the water under a bridge. People who are in the water want to get out, and who are people who are above the water are trying their hardest to get in. I'm like that's just terrible. That's it's just
0: sad. <laughs> actually, it's like no one's happy. Basically. No one's happy.
1: Yeah. Well, But I'm like, who's on the bridge then? Just let them be on the bridge. Nobody go in the water. So in my mind, at least, you know, that's a great thing about 40 is that you fuck it. Like, who cares about the commitment, (laughs) the marriage and the vows? I've seen, I've gone to so many weddings. I question if any of them are real. And some of them are and some of them aren't. But if the two of you can keep drawing your boxes and your boundaries, that's commitment right there. Because commitment is between two people who are committed to making it work.
0: I love that. And I think you've said this to me, too. It's like, sometimes we're always so focused on like, what's the future gonna hold? Are we gonna get married? Mm -hmm. Are we gonna get divorced? What if they leave me? And it's like, the reality is, you just don't know. Obviously, you you can take like, you can set yourself up for success, like clearly don't be in bad situations. But Mm -hmm. life happens. And you know, people do change. And hopefully you grow with your partner. But just because you don't, for some reason, it doesn't mean that it was a failure either. And you're any less committed.
1: Exactly. We can't we can't hinder our present time due to our anxiety about the future. The future has not happened yet. So why let that hinder our happiness now?
0: So I want to switch gears a bit. And you also, uh, for most people probably know this, but outside of Datable, you also work in the fitness industry. So Mm -hmm. you have taught dance classes before. You are a producer at Tonal, which is a fitness company. So, So you're pretty ingrained in the fitness community. And you're also a fitness enthusiast. And I think of you, I think of someone that's like always trying some new fitness routine or dancing. Fact. Do you think there's any parallels between the fitness industry and the dating industry?
1: So many. I'm so glad you asked this question because I think about it all the time. My coworkers think I'm crazy, but it's true. <laughs> so I'll give you this very, very interesting example. I do casting for Tonal now, so we're always looking at new coaches. Instead of getting kind of like echo chamber opinions about the people we're seeing, I wanted to go out to a focus group that Mm. could get a good sample across the nation of people from all walks of life, color, gender, sex, age, etc. And I presented this group with a very diverse lineup of coaches who we have black coaches, we have like body positive female coaches, we have an Asian male coach, just quite the diverse range. And I wanted to see how they would react. And I don't know if you can kind of guess what Mm. the results were, Okay. I don't-
0: I'm assuming it was similar to what people see on data apps.
1: Yeah. So what is so fascinating, my point in doing this focus group was trying to get more people to say that person resonates with me because they look like me. Everybody gravitated towards the white man. Everybody ranked him the highest.
0: Interesting.
1: Everybody said, I only want to work out with him. <sighs> and the women fell at the bottom And the ethnic men, the minority men were in the middle with some, it was kind of polarizing. Some people either said, I can see it or I don't see myself working with them. But everybody put the white male at the top. And when you go a little bit more, uh, one layer deeper of asking them why, they all said, because he looks like every other fitness person I've seen on DVDs and on TV. And this is the problem with dating apps, too. or we're just dating in yeah. general. And media is the attractive people. Well, who we find attractive are because who the media has portrayed yeah. as attractive. It doesn't mean that, I mean, attraction and beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's so true. It, it doesn't, it's not like this one look. But Hollywood seems to think it's one look. And that's why for so many years, I dated this one one specific type of man, Mm
0: -hmm. because I
1: thought that was what was attractive, didn't mean that I found that type to be like (laughs) the most attractive, right? This was mind blowing for me in the fitness industry, because I was like, we got to change this. This is why we need representation. But this is also why we need representation in dating too. This is why you need to open up your filters Mm -hmm. and be more open to dating outside of your normal type, because you don't know what you don't know.
0: Yeah, that is a very interesting parallel. I never thought about that. But I can as soon as you started saying it, I'm like, I know where this conversation is going. It's like right? the data that Okay Cupid presented of who's at the top and bottom of dating pool, right? Yep. Um, and getting the amount of swipes. So you also used to work as a dating coach. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have a lot of opinions on the industry, <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse. Too many. But- can you share kind of, let's start with the positive, maybe what's good about the industry and dating coaching, and then also what can be more toxic and problematic?
1: Okay, I like that you want to start with the positive. (laughs) Because there are positives, and we've never talked about them. The positive is, I think so many people in dating feel like they're going through something alone. And that loneliness Mm -hmm. can manifest into mental illness, it can manifest into depression, uh, you know, that downward spiral. So dating coaches, have provided a sort of uh, sounding board a sort mm-hmm. of companionship or even like therapy for a lot of people who feel like they're going they're going into dating alone now that's a positive The negative of the industry is that dating coaches are not, Incentivized by true love, dating coaches are incentivized by turnover of clients. Mm-hmm. They're incentivized by money, and they're incentivized by fast results. Dating coaches are basically like politicians. Politicians just want to show the most progress while they're in office, right? Mm-hmm. But then after they leave office, they don't give a shit because they just yeah. want—they the, they want to take credit. So that's why dating coaches want to give you the hacks and the tips and the <laughs> tricks so that you get that immediate result. You get to sleep with more people. You get more matches, but they don't care about the long-lasting true love. And that's the ugly side of dating dating coaching and matchmaking is that they are not incentivized by your true love.
0: I remember when I was a number for someone that was paying. Like basically, it's like a date that they're promising you to say, I got you a date, but was it the right fit? Did it actually help that person? Yeah, I could totally see that. It doesn't matter. Yes.
1: You're just there there to fill a quota.
0: Exactly. So what's one personal or professional goal that you have for yourself this year while we're talking more about you as a professional? Whoa. Okay. <laughs> you didn't think I was going to go here. You're like, I don't have this one prepared. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so um, Julie knows this all so well, and she's she's been very kind in pointing it out to me. But I do have... I do have career ADD. I do. I Mm. tend to bounce around from job to job. I have many, many interests and I do them for a year or two and I get bored. But something that I wanted to really hunker down on this year is to think about what's one of my interests that I can put a stake in the ground a little bit more Mm. and grow from there versus like just spreading myself too thin like I do every year. So You know, I think about like my longest relationship has been with Datable and has been with (laughs) Julie. And we've created this amazing community and all this great content. This is the place where I want to. Keep watering this plant and see it grow, and spend more energy and time into datable. And I'm not saying this just because we're on <laughs> our we're show datable right
0: now. It's <laughs> me. So we we, we sound like very, do the uh, total precise. interview next week. I'm just kidding, <laughs> right? right? I'll be like,
1: "No, fitness is my one true love." Uh, that's how you date multiple people and get away with that. That's what dating coaches teach you. No, no, but you know, it's really important for me to focus my Time and energy into datable, and you know our listeners ask us all the time: Do you have? Do you guys have other jobs? Do you? Um, what's next for datable? And these are great questions because. I know, Julie, and I really want to grow the shit out of Dateable because we've learned so much from it. It hurts us that not more people can learn from it because if everybody listened to the show and can learn along with us, dating would be so fucking awesome. Like, it might actually make me want to be single again. You know, if everybody was just dateable all the time, like how much fun would that be? But that is our our mission. I, I I'm very passionate about that.
0: I mean, I'm sure that's music to our listeners' ear, that that's where, the area you want to double down on. But I think I've thought about this too. And I think it's actually interesting because I've also had many career paths in a way, mm-hmm. but they almost all can play into what ends up happening in the True. future. So I think, I mean, you said that you get ADD, but we've been at this for six years. It's a pretty damn long-term relationship. It's because so. <laughs> I have you. If, it's it it does help, yes. I agree. I think if I was doing this, solo too it would be like it's just oh, hard I, to get that push right it is
1: yeah. yeah i would have been out like at year two if i was doing it by myself <laughs>
0: podcasting's a lot of work no joke people have no <laughs> idea what goes into it <laughs> and we have no idea who's listening that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> well, that's always a good thing to hear. Um, so back to relationships, but primarily back to you. Relationships are always, we heard this from our recent guest, Dr. Gladys Otto, about how relationships are essentially the biggest reflector of yourself. What have you learned about yourself in the last, I would say, year that's really helped you grow as a person?
1: Mm, something that I've learned in the last year and recently is I stopped being kind to myself or compassionate mm-hmm. to myself in a way that I would be to the 10 year old me. And recently, I've been watching old home videos with my parents and we dug them up from when I was in elementary school, and middle school. And I watched this girl on screen who is so serious, who can't smile, who thinks the world is so serious around her. And I just want her to laugh and smile and be a kid and be, be, fun. I realized that my relationship reflects this part of my childhood where I forgot to have fun mm. and keep things light and mm. and just be silly and I want to bring that Ua back or even bring her out cuz I didn't I was not that when I was 10 and just be kind to her and say it's okay for you to just be a kid right now and tap into that cuz it's not that serious.
0: I love that. <laughs> tap into your inner child, but in a playful way.
1: Yeah, literally tap into her.
0: And then the very last question I have to close it out is, what's one thing you'd like to see happen for the dateable community this year?
1: Mm, uh, so many things. Uh, one, I want to see it grow
0: like no other. Uh,
1: we need more people in this New movement. It's a datable yeah, movement. It's a movement, and I want this community to kind of keep each other accountable. Uh, you know, like I think with dating, uh, what happens many times with dating communities is that people want to talk about their negative experiences. Mm-hmm. I would love for people to talk about their positive experiences too, and and say, you know, when when someone's had a bad experience, can say. This also can happen. There are positive experiences. I don't want us to get into the Yelp reviews of a dating (laughs) community where everybody just bitches all the time. I'm not saying that's us right now, but that's what can happen. But Mm -hmm. what if we were to highlight some of the more positive moments? Because dating ultimately is one of the most important aspects of our lives. And we're making very important decisions in choosing our potential partners. So we should be more... Thoughtful in the way that we think about dating and how we how we frame dating to ourselves and to each other.
0: Well, this has been so fun. This is the first time we've done this.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) mean, I was going to say.
0: (laughs) I was gonna say you're so good. You're so insightful. And I learned so much. But actually, I did, even though I know you super well. And I probably knew some of the answers to these. I think just the way you said it, it made me like it made things click even in my own life. And I'm, I'm hoping that other listeners can feel the same way. And just hearing your journey and hearing how you've changed. And you know, people when we're dating, it can be like a 20-year spread. People really Mm. do change a lot. So I think it's a really good reflection that nothing is permanent. I love that you said that. And you know, hopefully gives people hope of what's around the corner or makes them appreciate what's going on in their current lives.
1: You're a wonderful interviewer. Those questions were fantastic. Thanks to (laughs) everybody who (laughs) who came up with questions. I cannot wait to turn the tables next week on Miss Julie here because
0: I already have so many questions for her oh i'm a little nervous but it's gonna be good it's gonna be good ua is the master interrogator so interrogator
1: oh my god i love that that's my reputation not just
0: the interviewer the
1: interrogator no i'm gonna bring up shit from you know like when julie was like 13 i'm gonna
0: like (laughs) she's like done her her research called everyone
1: tell me about johnny smith (laughs)
0: from sixth grade (laughs) oh my god i just remember i made this is the teaser to come but i remember i made the mistake of telling my parents that i got a mix cd back in the day you remember when it came out from someone and they signed it love sam and they never let me live it down and from that day on i did not share much oh so shit wait, maybe that contributed to some of my privacy current day
1: who's sam <laughs> okay no one it that it matters yeah
0: saving it for next week <laughs> I can't anyways
1: wait. that's the best teaser for next week find out who sam is
0: someone so insignificant in my life
1: <laughs> and if you are the sam we're talking about please call in
0: Well, that's it, right? (laughs) That's it. That's it. We'll wrap this one up then.
1: Okay, I'm going to clean up my armpit sweat. Thanks so much. Um, (laughs) Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. And, you know, if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. And we you know, think that you are the most dateable person if you do that.
0: Yep, <laughs> tell a friend. That's how we get the movement started. Let's help you yes. movement come to fruition of making everyone a better, more dateable person. So when you're swiping on apps, you see fellow datables out there. That's oh, the goal.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> Put that in your dating profile, hashtag yeah. stay dateable and see who else puts it in there. And then you know, then you know who's it's like good. a
0: secret code and it's a convo starter if nothing else. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yes, exactly. All right, we're gonna wrap this up. Stay, Stay date-able. dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Tag us in any post with the hashtag StayDateable and trust us, we look at all those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable.